Good morning. Please have a seat. Um, so, we are in a new series. The series is called Standing. For any of you who were here on Ash Wednesday, uh, you will have got a sense of what that's going to be and what we're going to be looking at. Um, if you weren't here and you watched it online later, that's great. If you didn't, it's available on the website for you to, to go and do so. Um, we're looking at what it is that we stand for. And over the coming weeks in the lead up to Easter, we're going to be asking some of the questions about what is the characteristic of a discipleship? What are, what are our practices? And, and like I say, we started this on, on Wednesday, and we looked at standing in confession. And I said this confession is fundamental for all Christians, all believers. Um, why? Because without confession, without standing in confession, we can't step into repentance. And without repentance and going through a cycle of repentance, we can't enter belief. We can't live a life of true belief. And these remaining characteristics that we're going to look at through this series start with today, looking at the word. And then we move into looking at standing in faith, in prayer, in forgiveness, in truth, in humility. And then on Easter Day, we're going to look at standing in victory. And so we're going to start today, like I said, standing in the word. So first question to ask you all today, why should we place such a high value on Scripture? Just think on that for a minute. Why should we place such a high value on Scripture? Since I got here to St. John, I've been unequivocal, is the best word, I think, unequivocal on stating that Scripture is inerrant. That is, that the Bible has no errors. It's, 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 it's been given to us as a model for us to follow, as a, as, a, as a map on how to get through life. And our involvement with Scripture, how we relate to God's Word, is critical for disciples. We've got to relate to it. Uh, we've, we've got to invest time in it. Because why? Why is it so important? Because the written word reveals and leads to the living word. It's what brings us to life. You could say it's a, kind of like a, um, a faith rate monitor. So you think like you're in hospital and you get hooked up to a heart rate monitor and it tells you how, how good your heart's doing and how alive you are or, or how alive you're not going to be. Uh, <laughs> um, I just had uh, Pastor Brian looking at me. I know he knows all about that. He laughed. <laughs> but scripture, it helps us to determine how we are healthy in spiritual life, how healthy is our spiritual life. And, and it does it helps us to answer that question, are we thriving or are we dying? It's the standard by which we get to look at and measure ourselves against. Because the Bible is the word of God, right? And you hear people say that all the time. Oh yeah, the word of God, scripture, the Bible, interchanging these words. 
But if we're going to stand on the word, we need to understand what we mean by that. Because the word of God is God's words. Flip it around. It is God's words. And so it can't be anything but good because it's God's words. It can't be anything but truth because it's God's words. For, for us to believe that Scripture is the Word of God, that it is God's words, then we have to value it. We have to believe it in its entirety because it reveals to us who God is. It reveals to us all we need to know about the world and about our human condition. I want to concentrate, though, not on the human condition or the world to start, but on, on this, it reveals to us who God is, right? And, and I start by just reading a small passage from Numbers, chapter 23, just verse 19, to, to set this up. God is not a human being that he should lie, or a mortal that he should change his mind. Has he promised, and will he not do it? Has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? And very similar to that, the beginning of Paul's letter to Titus, he says, God never lies. Yeah? Who is God? He's not mortal. Who is God? He's not someone who can lie. So, I understand that anyone in the room or anyone watching at home, if you don't believe that the Bible is God's words, then me looking to the Bible <laughs> to try to help convince you that it is, you're not going to care about so much. Um, but my hope is that at least you'd have someone to journey along getting to know Jesus, understanding Jesus, who he was, uh, what he's done for us, and that having that connection. So hear his words. Because he says in John 8, in verse 31, he says, If you continue in my word, you are tr my true disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Okay, so Jesus is saying the word will set you free. His word will set you free. And the only way to know this truth that he talks of is to spend more time with it, to engage with it. And we're going to look at standing in truth in a couple of weeks' time. And when I say couple, I mean further down the route, not two because I can't remember exactly how many weeks it is now until <laughs> we get to that point. Um, but we've got to spend time in the Word to know the truth. We've got to spend time in the Word to know Jesus, who is the truth. And having that connection with God's Word, it's the only way in which we can really test our spiritual health. I've said that already. Why? Because it provides for us the standard. It provides for us the way we're to live, it provides for us all that we need. And we just sang it provides the laws by which we abide. There's no one greater.
And when we look at thing, things in this world, there is nothing greater than his word. It points to the living word, to Jesus. See, discipleship, it's, it's a movement from unbelief to belief in all areas of our lives. And I've said that many times, and I'll say it again till I'm blue in the face, because that's what it is. We're moving from not believing that Jesus is Lord to believing that Jesus is Lord in every area of our life. So right now, there might be an area that you're working on in really giving to Jesus. Well, how do you learn to do that? How do you get examples of people who have done that? You go to Scripture. You read about the history of God's chosen people and how they did so much dumb stuff. <laughs> I can't think of a better way to say it. They did so much dumb stuff. And yet, we're not switched on enough to not copy them. You know, and we do dumb stuff. We can't claim to be disciples if we're not going to be living for Jesus. It takes time. Of course it takes time to give things to him. And he knows that. And he's patient with us. But we've got to be working on at least one aspect of our life at any moment in time. And saying we're going to declare Jesus to be Lord. Right? We do it in our songs. We hear the word read. And it says Jesus is Lord. And we'll proclaim it in liturgy when we have liturgy time. But what does Paul say? Say it with your lips and believe it in your heart. If you can't believe it in your heart that he's Lord and step into that, then we've got to start again. And that's that cycle, moving from unbelief to belief in every area of our lives. Because wherever we declare him to be Lord, we're going to see his kingdom. But we can't see the kingdom if we don't recognize the king for who he is, for what he's done. But how do we get to know the king and how, how do we get to recognize Jesus when we see him in others, when we see him in, in, in something that, that happens in our lives or, or someone that we pass in the street or, or an activity that we see on the news? Well, God's written word reveals to us who Jesus is. If we don't know God's word, we're not going to recognize Jesus in the world. We're not going to recognize the word made flesh that came to dwell among us. And scripture isn't there to be argued with. It's there to be, to be studied, to be reflected on. Yes, it can be difficult and it can be challenging, but it's not there to be argued with. Everything that we see in life, everything that we hear in life, everything that someone tries to teach us, it has got to. It's got to be measured against Scripture. Where we don't live our life and align it with God's Word, where we don't align our hearts with God's Word, Scripture isn't the wrong thing, we're the wrong thing. Because we've already, I've already said it. Scripture's inerrant. See, without error, it can't be wrong. Because it's the words of God. 
So anytime we're not living according to it or anytime we're trying to disagree with it or change it, we need to look at ourselves. And we're the thing that needs to be changed, not Scripture. Because Scripture's the rock on which we get to stand. It's, it's unchanging. It's, it's unmovable. It is, a, it is truly a solid foundation to get to stand on. And to get to be part of, to stand in. Because, that's a play on words, this is history. Right? It's his story. And we get to be part of it. We get to put ourselves in his story and be part of the history of God. And the work of God in reconciling the world to himself. We've got to place ourselves, if we're doing that, we've got to place ourselves under the authority of scripture because that's what disciples do that's what true disciples do the more we dwell in the word the better acquainted we're going to become with it the better acquainted we are with the written word the more we're going to get to know the living word the more we're going to get to know jesus and the better we know jesus the more we're going to understand when we hear the father's voice okay that that was just the introduction. <laughs> now we're going to get to the thing I really want to talk about today. And that is Jesus in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4. Um, he's just come out of being baptized. Come up out of the river. He's been affirmed by the Father. And the Spirit leads him into the wilderness. And it's key that we've got to hear this, that the Spirit led him into the wilderness. The Spirit did not do the tempting. It led him into the wilderness to be tempted. Okay? Uh, if anybody's got their Bibles, we know Paul already challenged you all on that this morning, for those of you who are here. Really great, uh, if you want to, when you come, to really try to remember, bring your scripture, bring your Bible with you. We talk about it, you get to scribble in it bring your notebooks, and, and really dive into it. Because that's what it is about. We're here to stand in the Word of God. So, yeah, uh, chapter 4. We're just going to look at really 1 through 11, and then touch a little bit um, into, into Jesus coming out of the wilderness. But he's in the wilderness. Just before that, he's been baptized. And where he's baptized, that's the only place in Scripture where we explicitly see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit at the same place in the same time. Yeah, we know they've been together. Scripture points to the fact that they're together and that we've got a Trinitarian God and we've got a doctrine that's backed up by Scripture. But this is the only place where it specifically states that all three are together at the same time. Yeah, we know that they were all at creation. We know that, that, that the Father spoke some words and boom. We start to see things. Yeah? You know the story. We've got the Spirit hovering over the waters. We've got Paul telling us um, how Jesus is the, is the visible sign of the invisible God and that he's always been present. So we know he's at creation. And I love, I love Graham Kendrick's words uh, for a song called Servant King. And, and, 
And he paints this picture of Jesus throwing stars into space. Hands that threw stars into space. Yeah, he's just like, oh, you can go there. <laughs> yeah, you look good there, right? That's the pictures we've got. But here, Jesus' baptism, we've got the Father speaking words, the Son coming up out of the water, and the Spirit descending like a dove. That's where we see all three together. So anyone who says, I'm not sure about the Trinity, talk to them about Jesus' baptism because it's there in Scripture without an issue. You can't argue against it. All three are there together at one point. So Jesus is led from that moment, having had those words of affirmation from the Father, into the wilderness. And we talked about the temptations a little bit in, in, in the previous series. How we are tempted as we are in trial and, and being tested by God. Temptation comes. The enemy will use the trials that we are going through to get in the way. Okay? So here comes Jesus. He's just had heard the words of the Father. You are my son. With you I am well pleased. And the Spirit says it's time to go and have some testing. The testing really was for Jesus. God knew what he's going to, God the Father knew what was going to happen to God the Son, okay? But the enemy still is like, ah, I can, I, can, I can maybe mess this up a little bit. And in he goes. And I want you to remember, as the enemy is coming at Jesus, it's for one reason. It's to dethrone Jesus before he announces his kingdom. Okay, it's to stop the announcing of the kingdom as being coming near, which is what happens in like verses 12 and onwards. He's going to try to dethrone Jesus. But Jesus doesn't succumb to the temptation. No, he has gone through every single thing that we go through. The writer to the Hebrews tells us that in uh, chapter 4, verse 15, Jesus will be tempted or was tempted in every such way as you will be. And these temptations, they're trying to come at Jesus and they're trying to, to, to get underneath his skin and dig out really what his mission is, what is his vocation. And they're trying to get at the root of that and, and, and rip it apart. And if we think about it, Jesus has 40 days, 40 days in the wilderness. And right now we're in 40 days of Lent. Yeah, Jesus went into the wilderness. He fasted and he prayed and he was tempted and he came out of it. But he came out, he was led in by the Spirit, but he came out in the power of the Spirit because he didn't give in to the temptation, because he spent time with the Father, because he entered into disciplines which strengthened him. And he comes out and he says, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. And the kingdom of heaven, which we read of in, in, in Matthew's gospel, is the same as the kingdom of God, which we read of in Mark's gospel. It's the same. Just Matthew's got an ideal where he's like, I revere God's name so much, I'm not even going to say God. I, I, can't, I can't write it. I'm writing to a Jewish audience that they're not going to want to read it. I'm going to use the word heaven. 
So that also tells us the kingdom of heaven isn't this place we go when we die. Because Jesus isn't going to say, guess what, guys? Heaven, it's on its way. He's not telling you you're going to die in a second. It's, it, it's, a right. He's saying, it's, it's on its way. I'm, I'm bringing it in. It's coming. Like a freight train or a passenger train. And I, I'm going to take a dig at my own country here, you know. Much better than any British railway network because they're never on time. Jesus describes it as coming near, as being like present with him. So how can you walk a life with Jesus and be in the kingdom if it's only somewhere you go when you die? And Jesus is really saying to his people, it's time for a revolution, guys. It's time for a revolution. It's time that you as God's people pull your finger out and start doing what God's asking you to do. And that's a message that's for us as the church as much now as it was when Jesus gave it to, the, to Israel. It's time for us to pull our finger out and start doing what God is calling us to do. These 40 days, symbolic to Lent, yes, but also symbolic to those 40 years that the Israelites spent walking through the desert before they came to the promised land. Interestingly here that Every single attack that comes Jesus' way from the enemy, Jesus responds with scripture. And every single scripture that he responds with comes from the Israelites' journey. And it comes from Deuteronomy, either 6 or 8, chapter 6 or 8. And the enemy's saying, if you really are the son of God, then prove it and whenever i read of these temptations I, I i have a little chuckle to myself because i spent three years learning in my first degree to be a database programmer and that's all about if x then y if x then y occasionally you'll throw an else in there but we don't want any else's because it's really it's if Jesus, then life. And I want to say to you now, if you are a child of God, then life. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. Don't listen to him coming against you for anything else. And the best way to attack him, to get back at him and the things he throws at you, is to quote scripture because that's what Jesus did. But he didn't say, oh, by the way, I, I just want to tell you that's from Deuteronomy chapter 6. The enemy might be trying to get in your head there a little bit. Ah, you don't know scripture. You don't know where it came from. Tell me where it came from. Don't listen to that lie. If you quote scripture, if you know the story, oh, if you get a word mixed up, don't care. It's God's words and the enemy's going to flee from it. He's only not going to flee from it when you, when you listen to his lies and you then go, oh, well, I don't know it, so I can't say it. I'm sorry. No. Don't listen to the lies. Know the story. Know the story. Like I said, I was training to be a computer programmer. 
I decided I didn't like that. So I went into catering. Then after catering, I went into work for the church. So there's another little funny, because at least I got the first letter right, right, as I was trying to find out what God wanted me to do. I didn't want to do this, but God wouldn't let go of me. He's like, no, you're going to tell the world about my words. You're going to tell the world about my words. And Jesus is saying to you the same thing today. Tell the world about my words. Take the word of God. But how can you tell the world about God's words if you don't know it? In order to stand in it, in order to fight the enemy with it, we've got to know it. We've got to be able to share the good news. But we've got to know the good news to be able to share it. And it's not my job to give you the good news. Yeah, I can talk about it. But that's where we've had so many problems through the church because people have stood up the front and said stuff. And the congregations have blindly followed them instead of Scripture. So if I stand up here and say, the carpet's yellow, you're all going to look at me and go, get your eyes tested. Right? If I stand up here and say something that isn't right with Scripture, you need to challenge me on it. But you can't challenge me on it if you don't know it, if you're not spending time in it. I'm reminded of the story of, uh, uh, of a priest who once stood there and, and twisted Scripture to try and get the congregation to actually do something and volunteer and make coffee and, 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 and all of that stuff. I need you guys to do more. And someone challenged him on it, and he was like, yeah, well, I know you're right, but if I told them that way, they're never going to make the coffee, or they're never going to clean the kitchen, or they're never going to, you know, hand out the bulletins. I'm not going to have anyone to read for me. No, know it, so that you can challenge where you're hearing it not being told correctly. See, the enemy will flee from Scripture when you use it forcefully to defend. But he will also use Scripture himself. He knows it, and I'm going to put my hand up and say, he knows it better than I do. I'm guessing he knows it better than most of you, if not all of you as well. And even here, he quotes Scripture at Jesus to try and get Jesus' attention to twist and start going. He's like, you know, the enemy says to him, oh, even it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up. And Jesus says, okay, but it's written, don't test the Lord your God. Jesus knew the word, and the enemy couldn't use the word against him, even though he tried. And the enemy tries to use the word against us, but we get to stand in it and say, no, because it's, all, no, it's written. And like Jesus, you don't have to know the chapter, you don't have to know the verse, you just have to know the essence of it. And the enemy is afraid of God's words.
but we've got to be very careful with God's word. I've joked around a little bit today some. But when I'm talking about God's word, it's not a joking matter. We've got to be careful. We've got to invest time in getting to know it. We've got to be steadfast. We've got to be unaltering in our approach to it because we can't cherry pick the bits that we like and get rid of the bits that we don't. We can't do... Uh, what is being talked about in some circles of the church and redact scripture. Now they haven't used the word redact, that's my word, but they're wanting to get rid of it or, or at least write it out of the lectionary so that it's never read in church because it's offensive. Particularly John's gospel is up for debate right now. You read John's gospel, it's difficult. If you read any of scripture, it's difficult. There's challenging bits. There's bits you don't like. There's bits where you're like, what? You don't get it. It's difficult. You can't understand it. Does that mean throw it out? No. Pray, pray about it. Be diligent in your study of it. Ask God to help you understand it. You could ask me, but I might not get it either. So ask God. It's much better to ask God. But I'll help you. I'll study with you. We are not able, like I said it before, if there's an issue with Scripture, the issue is actually with us, not with Scripture, because Scripture is inerrant. There is no issue with it. There's no fault in it. There's no error. It's the Word of God. It's God's words. And we're called to stand in it and to use it as our sword. Okay, it is the only part of the armor of God which can attack with. Everything else is for defense. But the sword, which is the word of God, hold it tightly. That's what Paul tells us. We can either accept God's word fully or we don't accept it. There are choices. Same way that Jesus had a choice to succumb to temptation or to choose the way of the cross. Don't let the enemy distort your vocation like he tried to Jesus. And we give thanks that Jesus chose the way of the cross and that he didn't succumb to temptation. And that's what allows us to have a relationship with the triune God. With the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father speaks words over each and every one of you. You are my child. With you, I am well pleased. You are my beloved. The Son died for you so that you could have a relationship with the Father. And he's given you the Spirit. Okay, I would say he's given you the deposit of the Holy Spirit. And by that, I mean like you're going to buy a house, you put a deposit down. Okay? Take that Holy Spirit, it's the deposit. It's that, that, that beginning point where you actually then get to go on completely and get the whole package and really see the kingdom of God because the Spirit's in you. Jesus lived a life that was blameless, that was spotless, and that 
is what makes the cross so powerful. He walked in our shoes. Okay, he didn't succumb to temptation. Perfect sacrifice. And so our challenge in all of this today is to stay in the word. To spend time with it, to allow it to permeate. And don't get caught up in, in, in thinking you have to remember word for word where it came from. Uh, who was it that said that? Was that Moses or was that Elijah? Oh, I can't remember. Doesn't matter. It helps, but don't let the enemy tell you it's a must. Just know the story. Just know the story. Because scripture, it's got the power to make the enemy flee. And it's the only thing, like I said, that's got the power to make the enemy flee. It's our sword. So if you want to move forward in your walk as a disciple, right? in order to walk, the first thing you've got to do is stand. And on Wednesday, we saw that in order to step into repentance, we had to stand in confession. Today, I think, as we've looked through this, as we've walked through this, that what we've really seen is that in order to walk a life as a disciple, we've got to stand in the Word. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your written Word. For all that you reveal to us in here of yourself. For the things that you reveal about us to us. Lord, we, we praise your name that this leads us to get to know the living word. That it brings us to be able to true relationship with you and with your son uh, in the power of the spirit. And we just pray for, Lord, you to come over us and, 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 and just speak into our lives, Lord, where, where we're neglecting your word. Where we're Choosing to ignore your word. Because you wrote the laws by which we abide. Bring others around us who can hold us accountable to that. Continue to speak to us because the word is alive. Let us have joy to come to your word. Let us have excitement that we're going to hear from you when we open these pages. And Lord, we pray right now for, as the Apostle Paul told us we should, to eagerly desire the gift of prophecy. And Lord, everything that we think we're hearing from you isn't going to be a fresh revelation. It's going to be backed up by this revelation. So let us know it so we can hear your voice and better follow you, taking your words into the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.